morning, friends. Great to see you today. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 10. Can you guys turn on the TV in the back for me? So I want to thank you for your many kind birthday wishes this week, your cards, your texts. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, we've been in this account of the rich young man, which begins in Mark 10, 17. Uh, we'll be in the last four verses of our passage, but let's read the whole thing, uh, 17 through 31, so we can uh, see our passage in its context this morning. So read with me, follow along in your copy of God's Word, Mark 10, 17 and following. <clears throat> and as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. God's authoritative word. <clears throat> let's uh, give our attention to what his word says to us today and let's ask for his help as we continue. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great goodness in giving us your word. Thank you for Jesus, your son, the living word, uh, through, whom, through whom you have spoken. And thank you for your written word, who uh, Jesus gave to the apostles. Uh, Lord, thank you that we're able to hold it in our lap this morning or look at it on our phone. 
Uh, please speak to us today. Give us insight into these uh, difficult verses to apply. These verses that are somewhat difficult to hear. Jesus, may your spirit open our eyes and ears and press the truth home. Uh, strengthen my voice today, uh, my mind, that I can communicate clearly. Lord, give us hearing ears, and we entrust our time to you now. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, as you can see on the back of your bulletin, this is now our third installment uh, in this section on the insurmountable obstacle of wealth and riches. We've been slowly chipping away at Mark's account of this rich young ruler. Uh, this man came rushing up to Jesus wanting to know how he could gain eternal life. And you remember what Christ said, I just read it to you after all. Um, it's quite simple, young man, Jesus might have said, sell all your possessions, give me your undivided loyalty, and eternal life is yours. But this was, as they say, a tall drink of water. Too much to ask. Christ was asking uh, what we referred to as the humanly unthinkable. Um, uh, he could not do this and went away sad. And after he left, uh, Jesus explained to his disciples that what he had asked of that man was not just difficult, it was impossible. And it would be impossible for anyone without the prior work of God's sovereign grace in their heart. Without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit uh, giving them new life and a new heart and a new loyalty, no one could make that change in loyalty. We're in our third installment today, uh, and the tone changes quite dramatically. The first two installments have dealt primarily with the cost of following Jesus. But this third installment concerns the rich benefits for those who do. For those who leave all to follow him. Uh, the abundant blessings in store for those who give Jesus their undivided loyalty. Uh, people have found this so comforting that one pastor uh, summed it up like this. There are few wider promises in the word of God than this one. There is none certainly in the New Testament which holds out such encouragement for the life that now is. Let everyone that is fearful and faint-hearted in Christ's service look at this promise. Let all who are enduring hardness and tribulation for Christ's sake study this promise well and drink out of it comfort. Now, I don't know your exact situation, but my hope is to give you a drink of comfort this morning as we examine these last four verses in our passage. Uh, to give you comfort, you who have left everything to follow Christ. Well, we'll find this comfort as we study this last portion, the humanly imponderable. Christ promises his followers blessings that are beyond imagination. And there are two things I want to point out to you in these 
last four verses of this section. Uh, the first is the believer's sacrifice. Peter protests and pleads with Jesus that they had left everything to follow him. Look at verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Peter again acting as the spokesman for the twelve at this point, uh, saying what they were all thinking. Um, some believe that these words are spoken in arrogance, that the twelve were boasting about the personal sacrifice each of them had made, that unlike the rich men, they, they really had left everything to follow Jesus. That's possible, but I think if Peter had been boasting, if the twelve had been bragging about what they had left behind, Christ would have corrected them. But there's no rebuke in, in the verses that follow. He goes on to give words of comfort. So I don't think this is offered in arrogance or spoken in arrogance. I believe Peter says what he says out of desperation or dismay. Uh, Peter begins his statement with the word see, which is an, uh, called an interjection. Normally it's translated behold. It's attention getting. And Peter is pleading with the Lord, look Lord. Uh, if following you is impossible apart from your work of grace in our hearts, do the sacrifices we've made count for anything? We admit, Lord, that we haven't left behind riches like that young man. But still, Lord, it's cost us to follow you. Each one of us as, as a disciple has paid a price to become your disciple. Lord, where do we stand? is the tone Peter has. Consider the things that Peter had left behind after Jesus had performed the miracle of the fish. Uh, Luke tells us, um, Peter, uh, Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter, James, and John uh, are the every um, the, the they in this verse those three disciples it seems though that Peter kept his house and his boat so leaving everything meant that he left behind his livelihood his career as a fisherman a steady source of income for his wife and perhaps his children following Jesus would mean that he would be temporarily separated from his wife uh, during this earthly ministry that Christ had. Later, Paul would tell us that when Peter went on ministry trips as an apostle, he took his wife with him. But for a temporary period of time, Peter leaves her behind so that he can learn from Christ. Well, Peter's not the only one we know who left things behind. We know this of Matthew as well. Consider what Matthew left behind. He's also called Levi. And Luke tells us of Levi or Matthew. After this, he went out, Jesus that is, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
We know Matthew also has a house. And, and the verses right after this, he is uh, entertaining guests with Jesus as the, as the person of honor. Uh, Matthew kept his house as well. But like Peter, he literally walked away from his livelihood. He, he gave up his uh, career, if you would call it, as a tax collector. Uh, which involves swindling people of out of extra money. And so Matthew probably had uh, plenty of money and perhaps uh, privileges with the Roman government that might have come with that. He was hated by his fellow Jews. But Matthew leaves it all behind to follow Christ. We're not sure what some of the others would have left behind. But Jesus himself describes the variety of things that it might cost believers uh, to follow him. And we see this in verse 29. Look down at your Bible. It says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake for the gospel, some believers are called to leave their homes behind. As I mentioned, this did not seem to include Peter and Matthew. Um, we see both of them using their homes to build up the kingdom of God. But for many, homes represent security. And leaving their homes behind, even if it's only temporary, means Casting yourself and entrusting yourself completely on the provision and care of God. Other believers are called to leave their home of origin behind. Their most essential network of relationships growing up, including parents and siblings. And yet others are called to leave behind lands or fields along with the supervision and maintenance and income from those fields. So these three things we see in verse 29, homes, families, fields, represent leaving behind family ties and the security that possessions give us. Listen to this, uh, uh, listen to this man sum it up for us. The remarkable thing about the list of verse 29 is that our most essential natural uh, that our most essential natural network of relationships and allegiances homes families fields must be forsaken for this scandalous call of Christ for it takes priority over them and requires the severing of old allegiances one cannot follow Jesus with one's former baggage one must give up his nets, another his riches, for Christ's sake. Some of you are acquainted with these three things in verse 29. You've experienced uh, one or more of these three things that Jesus mentions, a home, uh, a family, or a field. Some of your parents have frowned on your decision to follow Christ. Uh, they've gone as far as referring to you as some kind of religious fanatic. 
I mean, they're okay with you attending church, but really, this seven-day-a-week thing that you call following Jesus? Some of you, uh, others of you have, for following Christ has meant moving to another part of the country or, or even another part of the world to serve him. And you know what this is like. Some of you have left lands behind. You've passed up a lucrative career because of Christ's call on your life. You've missed promotions at work because you don't want to travel. Christ has called you to shepherd your family and, and you take that call seriously so you don't want to be out of town all the time. Others of you have missed promotions because Christ's call won't allow you to engage in unethical business practices. As a concrete example, my uh, uncle who served in the United States Army as a, as a chaplain was passed over for promotion time after time because he would not close his eyes to adultery amongst the troops. So we see to begin with the believer's sacrifice and, and Peter pleads with the Lord, Lord, this has cost us. Where do we stand? And Jesus mentions the things that believers often leave behind. But then going on from the believer's sacrifice, the believer's loss, the second thing we see here is the believer's gain. Uh, this is where so many have found that comfort that Ryle spoke of. For it's here that Jesus promises to abundantly reward those who have renounced everything to follow him. There are three benefits uh, in the believer's gain. Three uh, benefits that each believer has available. The first is new possessions. Those uh, for those who have renounced everything to follow Jesus, they receive new possessions. Uh, new possessions to replace the things they've left behind. I want to walk you through these new possessions. They have five characteristics. Let me mention them to you. To begin with, they're similar possessions. Uh, they're similar to the things they've left behind. Look at verse 29 once more. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left houses, excuse me, <clears throat> there is no one who has, <clears throat> that's much better, isn't it? <laughs> there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Uh, the list of things in verse 29, what they leave behind, it's nearly identical to what they gain in verse 30. So there is great similarity between what a believer gains when he or she follows Christ compared to what they've left behind. The next characteristic I want you to notice is that uh, 
These are spiritual possessions. They're spiritual in nature. I mean, after all, when Peter walked away from fishing to follow Christ, he didn't receive a hundred new fishing nets to replace the one he left behind. These things are spiritual in nature. And so you and I won't receive an actual new home or an actual new mother or father when we follow Christ. But spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual brothers and sisters among God's people in the body of Christ. Listen to Ryle again. He says this, Believers shall find in the communion of saints new friends, new relations, new companions, more loving, faithful, and valuable than any they had before their conversion. Their introduction into the family of God shall be an abundant recompense for exclusion from the society of this world. I've experienced this many times um, in every place where we've served. Uh, the Lord has always led us to be far away from my parents. Um, but there have been several couples uh, in each location we've lived who have become surrogate fathers and mothers to me and Christy, who have become spiritual fathers and mothers to me and Christy. Some of you in this room today have played that role for us. So a believer's new possessions are spiritual in nature. And, and then further, the third characteristic is that they're multiplied possessions. Again, in verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold? A hundredfold. Perhaps you've left behind one set of parents to follow Christ, but now you have many spiritual fathers and mothers. Perhaps to follow Jesus, you left behind one sister at home. But not you, now you have many sisters and brothers through the body of Christ. Hopefully far less annoying than your little brother that you left at home of whom I was, whom that role I played. They're not just multiplied possessions. Well, listen to Sinclair Ferguson talk about this. Millions of Christians throughout the ages could testify how this promise has come true in their lives. Christ has never been their debtor. He has supplied all their needs, even when becoming a Christian has meant leaving family or being rejected by them. Christ has given back a hundred families to his servants. It is one of the most stubborn facts of history that this promise has been fulfilled. They've been multiplied, these possessions. Fourth, they are present possessions. Uh, they are his or hers to enjoy in this life. Again, verse 30, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. You know, there's an old saying perhaps you've heard. Uh, it's, it goes pie in the sky by and by. And it's kind of a sarcastic way to refer to our eternal, eternal reward in heaven. But Jesus says, forget that, pie now. 
die now. You will re uh, enjoy your reward in eternity, but there are blessings and rewards in this life, in the here and now, that make up for the things you leave behind. Well, there is a, f a fifth characteristic that uh, adds a bit of realism to this, is that these possessions come with persecutions. He says there in the middle of verse 30, uh, with persecutions. Uh, as the New Testament promises elsewhere, our new possessions will come with persecutions from the world. This is not out of the ordinary. Listen, this is the normal experience of believers. If you have never experienced difficulty or persecution from someone in the world, that's not normal. For the word of God tells us, 1 Paul and 2 Timothy, 1 Paul and 2 Timothy, well, he says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then Peter's familiar um, statement in, in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So uh, a believer's new possessions come with persecutions. Let me get back to my list here wherever it went. There we go. So this is, this is the first benefit is these new possessions that Christ provides abundantly rewards those who renounce everything to follow him. And indeed, I would say that some of the spiritual parents that you have inherited as a, as a follower of Jesus were far better parents than your own parents ever were. Perhaps uh, you will find that to be true. Not only do we receive new possessions as a benefit, we also receive new life as a benefit. Uh, at the very end of verse 30 says, the very last phrase, and then in the age to come, eternal life. There are two aspects to eternal life, always two aspects to eternal life. And the first aspect, the one that we think of most often when we think of eternal life has to do with the quantity of life. Eternal life is unending existence with Jesus Christ in glory. Those who have put their faith in the atoning death of Jesus will live forever and ever with Christ in heaven. Think of, think of it, friend. You might die physically. You will live forever with Christ in glory. This is the quantity of life. Time out of mind we will live uh, through Christ's gift. But eternal life has another aspect. It's not just quantity of life. There's also quality of life. It's a different life, a new kind of life. It's life that Jesus refers to as abundant life or life to the full. 
it is abundant and full because as believers, we've come to know God the Father and Jesus Christ, His Son. Yes, you know God if you're His follower. You know Jesus Christ if you are His follower. Jesus said it like this in John. And this is eternal life. This is that qualitative aspect of eternal life. Not the quantity, but the quality. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, it's often the case that whenever we know somebody big and important, we feel proud about it. And we boast to our friends, well, you know, who I know, I know so-and-so. Oh, you do? Like? Well, we're friends on Facebook, actually. <laughs> For example, I'm friends on Facebook with the Channel 2 weatherman. How's that? <laughs> Apparently, he accepts any friend request. You know God. You know the only true God. You know the God of heaven. And you know Jesus Christ, his son, who laid down his life for you. If, if you've trusted in him as your Lord and your Savior, and you're given this new life, and it might be that it doesn't strike you as a very big deal. But the older you get, the more important this becomes. Until the day when we're with him in glory, and I think that's all we'll care about. Well, so new possessions, these intangible riches, spiritual possessions that were given, new life in Jesus Christ, both in quantity and quality. And there's a third benefit this morning that I want you to notice as well, and that is new, a new position. Those who have put themselves last in order to follow Jesus will eventually find themselves first in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 31 with me. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is another of Jesus' sayings where he completely flips the world's values on their head and introduces the, the, the values of the kingdom. They are com the complete opposite of the world's values. I don't want you to see him yet. I don't know what happened with my slides. It's a mystery. They were all in order when I left home today. And Yes. Uh, when the disciples were arguing about which of them was the greatest, you read it again today, Jesus flipped their values, confronted them with the reverse values of the kingdom. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he went on to say after that, he took a child and put him in the midst of them. 
And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not, not me, but him who sent me. And here again, Jesus demonstrates in our passage that the values of the kingdom of God are the opposite of the values the world has. The world doesn't say, whoever is first will be last. The world says that the first will be first. The, the, anyone like the rich young ruler, the person who wants to stand out, who wants to lead others, that kind of person must put himself out there, must demonstrate that he or she is head and shoulders above the crowd. That, that he or she is an entrepreneurial leader, that he or she can take the bull by the horns. Yes, the world says, the first will be first. But Jesus says that those who would be first must become the servant of all. Must put themselves last. Instead of taking the bull by the horns, they must take the sheep in their arms. Instead of standing head and shoulders above the crowd, they must stoop down to wash the feet of God's people. And while the world says the first will be first, Jesus says the last will be first in my kingdom. Those who rely on positions of authority or wealth will come in last. According to the world. But those who have renounced their wealth and their standing to follow Jesus, those who humble themselves to serve others and care for their needs will in the end find themselves first in God's kingdom. The third benefit that we gain by following Jesus, by renouncing all to follow him, is a new position. Not certainly here in this world, but in his kingdom. This is, these three things are the believer's gain. The abundant reward that Christ promises to those who've renounced everything to follow him. Listen to this uh, man describe it. The kingdom of God topples our cherished priorities and demands of disciples new ones. It takes from those who follow Jesus things they would keep and gives to them things they could not imagine. Those who take their stand on their riches, whatever they may be, will have nothing to stand on. Those who give up everything, not only possessions, but even people and places, indeed their own lives, to follow Jesus will not simply be compensated for their sacrifices but rewarded a hundred times over with the same and in the world to come with eternal life. This is our gain for those who leave all to follow Christ, to those who uh, have undivided loyalty to him, to those who trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, Christ promises new possessions, new life, and a new position.
This is what we find in our third installment. Uh, this comfort for Christ followers. We discover those who've renounced everything to follow Jesus will be blessed with the humanly imponderable. Those who have given their undivided loyalty to Jesus will receive blessings that are beyond our imagine. And we've seen this through the believer's sacrifice, but especially through the believer's gain. One day, the chancellor of the University of Glasgow in Scotland introduced the young men of that university to a living legend. Even though you might not have heard of this man, he was at that time a living legend, uh, Dr. David Livingstone. He was called God's missionary. He was a trailblazing medical missionary and explorer on the continent of Africa in the 1800s. And as Livingstone stood up that day and walked to the platform to address those university men, the students fixed their gaze on Livingstone. And they saw his hair burn to a crisp under the scorching tropical sun. They saw his body, whose frame had been wasted and shrunken from jungle fever. They saw his right arm hanging limp at his side, destroyed by the attack of a ferocious African lion. And seeing Livingstone, they stood in silence and awe as God's missionary took the platform. To yet another group of students, Livingstone described his time in Africa like this. He said, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward in healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good? Peace of mind and a, a bright hope of a glorious destiny? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. He went on. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, foregoing the common conveniences of this life, these may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall later be revealed in and through us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. I never made a sacrifice. And given what we've seen today in the humanly imponderable, perhaps you're not to the point of Livingston, few of us are, where we can say, I never sacrificed a thing. It was all gift. But we have this great reward, this great benefit, this great blessing 
of leaving all to follow Christ. There is good reason uh, to drop everything to become his disciple. He will not be a debtor to any man who follows, to any woman who follows. Christ will keep his workers and bless his workers and reward them. Let's pray as we close. Lord, I pray for those in front of me who have found following you hard. I want to pray for them that they would be able to lift their drooping hands and that you would strengthen their weak knees this morning as they hear about the hundredfold blessings they will receive from you in this life. Father, make it real to them through Jesus, your Son. Bring alongside a spiritual mother or father, a spiritual sister or brother, to encourage them in their faith. Lord, bless them with uh, riches that a career could have never given them. I pray that they would know the joy of serving you and that they would joyfully experience the eternal life you have promised in the age to come. Strengthen us, Father, to leave everything to follow you. Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen.